Good morning and welcome to this worship assembly and it may be fitting to say welcome to our first worship assembly for the year 2022. When we enter a new year it just sounds odd at first doesn't it? 2022. But we are here and there is no better way to start a new year than with this kind of gathering. Before I begin this sermon, may I take this opportunity to highly recommend that you devote yourself to daily Bible reading in 2022. Start now and fill your year with reading and learning God's revealed will. Likewise, start and resume good spiritual habits. Come back at five o'clock and every Sunday night. If you haven't been attending our Bible classes, 9.30 on Sunday mornings and seven o'clock Wednesday nights. We have just started a study of the Gospel of Mark and we invite you to join us for those studies. Your pathway forward in 2022 can be better the closer you are to God and His written word and His people. Now, Two passages I want to read to introduce a series of sermons, 12 sermons planned for 2022, the Lord willing, one each month. And I'm going to call this series, What a Difference the Bible Makes. What a Difference the Bible Makes. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, there is one of two verses I'm using to introduce the sermon this morning. Paul, speaking to brethren in Ephesus, preparing to leave them for some time, and he said this, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who were sanctified. The Apostle Paul didn't just say farewell. I wish you well. He didn't just say I'll see you later. Or you are on your own now. He commended them to God and to the word of God. The word delivered by Paul and the other apostles. The word that we have in print today. This is why we speak so often about daily Bible reading. Coming to Bible classes. We are commending you to God and to the word of his grace. Our meeting that begins January 14 will commend to you, commend to us, God and the word of his grace. Our classes, our sermons, our songs, our prayers, all we do, we are commending you to God 
and the word of his grace. The other passage you see on the slide is James 1.22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Not only do I need to read this book and study this book, not only do I need to preach God's word and ask others to listen to God's word, we need to do what it says here. Be doers of the word. Many times when we leave this building, I will suggest to us, that we take what we learn in this building, outside of this building, into our attitudes, our speech, our lives, our interaction with people and events. Be doers of the word. So, in this sermon series for this year, I'm going to say to us and to everyone who attends, what a difference it can make in your life. When you just use the Bible, what a difference it can make in your life, in my life, when we just use the Bible. And when I say use the Bible, I mean reading, studying, learning, and doing. Using the Bible in your thinking, your speaking, your reacting, your daily behavior. Using Bible teaching in how you relate to people and events. How you navigate the storms in life. How you conduct yourself in your workplace, school, family. What a difference it can make in your life when you just use the Bible. You'll see on the slide... There are vital topics each of us need in our knowledge and our practice. I've made a list of 12, and once a month I'll speak to us from the Bible about these topics. God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Old Testament, the New Testament. For many of you, this will be what would be called a refresher course for all of us an opportunity to re-examine and reapply the Word of God in our lives. And I'll make the point in each sermon in the series, what a difference it can make in your life when you just use the Bible. These sermons are being recorded for your review and to share with others through our website. And the first sermon now is about... God. And here's where we're going to start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1 verse 1. I'm going to take us through some other statements about God I want to call to our attention today. In the book of Psalms, Chapter 18 and verse 46. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. Statements like this are typical in the book of Psalms, but God isn't typical. He lives. And David said, he is my rock. 
And David said, exalted be the God of my salvation. Here is another I want us to consider. In Psalm 42 and verse 2, my soul thirst for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I want us to add to that John chapter 17 and verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then one more in Psalm 86 and verse 10. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Here's where I'm going to start. Is this what you believe today? When you hear these statements, when we sing songs that exalt God and honor Jesus Christ, when we preach and teach from this book and talk about who Jesus is and who God is and that final reckoning that we shall have before deity... Is this what you believe? Or are these just words on a page from a book that you have? There is no question more serious than the question about what you believe and what you do about God. Is God real to you? Not just on some academic level. Not just something you say. Not just a place you go. But can you say what David said? <clears throat> the Lord lives. And does he live in your life? Do you know God on a personal, practical level? As expressed sincerely by how you conduct your life. If not, please listen. If you do, I'm asking you to listen too. Let's just go all the way back to the fundamental truth that God is. And I want to ask you to turn to these passages or write them down and look at them later. Is this what you believe today? That's the recurring question in this sermon. If not, please listen. Roma, uh, uh, Psalms 19 verse 1. Psalms 19 verse 1. The book of Psalms contains so many statements of praise to God. You read these statements and you pick up the tone immediately of sincerity and conviction and strength that is offered to your life. Listen to Psalms 19 verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim His handiwork. 
evidence of God's existence is all around us. It's being declared every day by what He made. Everywhere we look, we find perfection and order and beauty so powerful, it mitigates against any idea that all of this happened by chance. Multitudes of people, including scientists, have confessed what we see in the physical universe could not have happened just by accident or by chance. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Paul reiterated that in Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 verse 20. I want to give you time to open to that. Romans 1 verse 20. Paul's subject in the first three chapters of Romans is to show that man has a problem. All have sinned and do fall short of the glory of God. In connection with that, he wants us to know that atheists and agnostics have no excuse. Here's the passage, Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. There is no recent discovery, no breaking news, no modern trending conclusion that goes against what Paul said here. Ever since the creation of the world, God's existence has been obvious, clearly perceived. Now, I read that and have to say, what does that mean to me about my life? What does it mean to you about your life that the existence and strength and divine power of God is clearly perceived right out there? in the things that have been made. Hebrews 3 and verse 4. This is so powerful. This can be used if you have conversations with skeptics or unbelievers or doubters. It is sometimes called the argument from design. And the objective truth here is that when you find design, you find a designer. This is the argument from design. Hebrews 3 and verse 4. Are you there? <clears throat> For every house is built by someone. Now stop there. Have you ever heard of, have you ever known of a house that just appeared out of the ground? What about a house that was accidentally built? 
No designer, no builder. It just came into existence. Now, if you've heard of that, or you've witnessed that, I want you to please see me at the end of the services. Now, back to Hebrews 3 and verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, this is, this is what is called in mathematics an axiom, a self-evident truth. And it applies to houses, watches, computers, projectors, PA systems, automobiles, those things don't just show up or emerge out of the ground or appear out of a vapor. God is, and each one of us must reckon with that truth, and better now than later. And then I believe one of the most powerful evidences is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this, that is sometimes called the historical argument for God's existence. I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. <clears throat> now, how is it, someone might ask, how is it that the resurrection of Christ is part of the proof of God's existence? There is abundant historical evidence that Jesus existed I mean, outside of the New Testament record, outside of the Bible, using other accepted means of historical documentation, <clears throat> Jesus Christ lived, he was seen, historians wrote about his life. Here we discover in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul and over 500 other witnesses affirmed that Jesus rose from the dead. It is indisputable. The body was never found. The tomb was empty. His enemies and the enemies of Christianity have never been able to prove otherwise. So the question echoes through generations and through history, the empty tomb and where is the body? The resurrection of Christ basically proves the existence of 
God's plan that brought Jesus to the world. Jesus was a teacher. He taught what was authorized by God. Then he was crucified, but God brought him back to life. And he said, do you remember? He said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What a difference it makes in your life when you start out accepting the evidence of God's existence and then you listen to him. And you read what he said and you become acquainted with his son and you put this in your mind and in your life through daily obedience. C.S. Lewis wasn't right about everything that he wrote, but he had this right. He said, If we let ourselves, we shall always be waiting for and looking for some excuse, some distraction, some cause for delay, keeping us from really getting down to the serious work on our relationship with our Creator. But the fact of the matter is the only people who receive and achieve in their relationship with God are those who want it so badly. They seek it even when conditions may not seem favorable and they seek it consistently every single day. I tell you, no matter what's in your past or your present or your future, you need God. No matter what's in my past, my present and my future, I need God. Consider this statement in Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We all know people who say, I believe in God. The problem is there's no response. No repentance and baptism. If there is repentance and baptism initially, there's no daily discipleship. If there is daily discipleship, it is minimized or it is ceased. No worship. Just the statement, I believe in God. And perhaps a variety of sentimental feelings about God and Jesus and heaven, but without response. I want every one of us to listen this morning. I'm turning to Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to read verses 21 through 23. In Matthew chapter 7. 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Are you one of those who just says, Lord, Lord, but you're not doing the will of the Lord in your daily life? Have you been baptized? If you have, do you take seriously the life-giving task of doing the will of God on a daily basis? Do you realize how much difference it makes when you put God and His Word into your life and keep it there every day? Do you trust in Christ and does that trust in Christ produce your way of life and enable you to navigate the difficulties? What a difference it can make in your life when you read, study, and become engaged in your life in what the Bible says, no matter your past, your present, your future, you need God. And you can respond to Him now while we stand together to sing.